thank you, Lee and Missy, for helping us to worship in that way. I love hearing y'all sing. We missed worshiping with you last week as we took our oldest to move into the dorm at Indiana University. Thank you for your prayers as we did that. But it's so good to be back with you today, back in God's Word, back worshiping with you. I heard y'all singing only trust. I thought somebody might really trust him today if y'all keep singing like that. So thank you. It's good to be back worshiping with you. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50, we are in the midst of a sermon series that we have entitled, A Certain Hope in Uncertain Times. And as we work our way through this last part of Isaiah, we're in Isaiah chapter 50, and hopefully we'll get into Isaiah 51 today as well as we continue our slow but steady march through Isaiah. As I look at Isaiah 50 and 51, it's really about listening to God. If you have your Bible open, just look really quickly there, like Isaiah 50 verse 4, he talks about having our ear awakened to listen like one being taught. Verse 5, the sovereign Lord has opened my ears. When you get into 51, the very first verse, God says, listen to me. Verse 4, listen to me, my people, hear me, my nation. Verse 7, hear me. So these two chapters are about listening to God, about hearing him. Jesus often said, he who has ears, let him hear. And the Bible tells us to hear the word of the Lord literally hundreds of times. Listening to God must be a very important thing. I wonder, do you listen to God? Do you, do you set aside time just to focus on hearing him? Because there are so many voices in our culture crying out to us that if we don't set aside time to specifically listen to, to work to hear God, then we, we probably will not hear his still, small voice. God speaks to us in many ways. He speaks to us in his creation. You see, we have our doors open for better ventilation uh, during our worship service, and we can see from the creation God's creativity. We see that he's a God of order. We can see his glory. We can see other things by looking at his creation. God speaks to us through providence, through the things that happen. He reveals his will to us. But the primary and the most clear way that God speaks to us is through his word. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that in the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us through his, watch this, through his son who upholds all things by his powerful word. This relationship between God's Son and the Word we see here in Isaiah 50 and 51. Because Isaiah 50 is another one of Isaiah's servant songs. It previews the ministry of the Lord Jesus. I think you'll see here in the text, if you want to see the exegetical work that's been done in previous sermons, I'd love for you to go back and listen to those. Listen to the podcast, Redeemer Shoals is our podcast. But Isaiah 50 is another of Isaiah's servant songs. And you can see that each stanza begins with that phrase, the sovereign Lord. You see it in verse 4, the sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue. Verse 5, the sovereign Lord has opened my ears. Verse 7, because the sovereign Lord helps me. Uh, verse 9, it is the sovereign Lord who helps me. 
So we see that the prompting and power of the sovereign Lord initiates everything in this passage. And we looked at verse 4 and 5 a minute ago about listening to God and God opening our ears. It's actually the servant of the Lord who hears God in this text. And our having a certain hope in uncertain times really turns on our listening to the servant of the Lord and obeying him. If you have a certain hope in uncertain times, it's because you are listening to and obeying the servant of the Lord, his son, Jesus. And if you don't have a certain hope in uncertain times, it's because we are not hearing him. We're not walking in his ways. We're not obeying him. Let me show that to you here in Isaiah 50, verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11. Hear now God's word. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. But now, all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go, walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We do ask, as your servant does here, that you would open our ears, that you would help us to really hear from you. There's so many other voices clamoring for our attention. Lord, help us to open you. We just ask you would open our ears so that we could hear from you, that you would help us to to discipline ourselves, to sit still, and to listen for your still, small voice. Lord, open our ears that we may hear you. And I pray that you'd even be willing to do this through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. These verses 10 and 11 are so interesting to me because usually in the Bible, and most times in literature, when you see this metaphor of light and dark, the light usually stands for what is good, and the dark usually stands for what is bad. Isn't that the way we're used to hearing it? I think of 1 John chapter 1, where we're told that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And that light and dark metaphor is describing the light, the purity, and the holiness of God. In him there's no darkness at all. There's no impurity. There's no sin. And then John calls us to not walk in darkness or in a sinful life, but to walk in holiness, to walk in the light. And so in 1 John 1, we see that contrast of light and dark between holiness and, and impurity. I think of Jesus himself in John chapter 8, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So there the contrast, light is life, darkness is death. And that's what we're used to hearing, that light stands for good stuff and that dark stands for bad stuff in our metaphors. But Isaiah here flips the script. He uses the metaphor in a different way. You see here in Isaiah Chapter 50 and verse 10, the one who walks in the dark, the one who has no light, is the one who is called to trust in the name of the Lord. He's the one who is called to rely on his God. You see the 
personal possessive pronoun there, to rely on his God. These, these people in the dark are people who have a God, who call on him. These are God's people who are in the dark here. And we may think that that's a bad thing. But if you really think about it and you look at how Isaiah is using the metaphor, he's not contrasting good and evil. He's not contrasting life and death. He's contrasting what is clear with what is unclear. He's contrasting certainty with uncertainty. And so this one who walks in the dark, who has no light, who is called to trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God, is is a person who follows God. Think about the metaphor with me. The Christian walk is sometimes a walk in the dark. And I don't mean that it's a walk in sinfulness as opposed to holiness. No, we're called to be holy in the Christian life. I don't mean we walk in death as opposed to light, although we do walk in the valley of the shadow of death, Psalm 23 says. We sang about it this morning, that we do sometimes walk in that shadow of death, and sometimes the Christian walk is a walk in the dark in that we face perplexity, in that in the Christian life, as we follow God and his will for us, there is a lack of complete clarity. It's not always so clear and so easy to do what it is that God calls us to do. You do understand that just because we face something perplexing, just because we lack complete clarity, that does not necessarily mean that we're not obeying God. Sometimes we're wandering in the dark, feeling about in the dark, because we are obeying God. And it doesn't make sense in the world around us. You do understand that our gauges are broken, right? That it seems like this is the right way, and God's word comes to us and says, no, this is the right way. And the world around us is certainly broken. The wide path that everyone takes is what Jesus says leads to destruction. It's the narrow path that not many find that leads to life. And that's why the Christian life is sometimes walking in the darkness because our gauges are broken because the world around us is broken. And it's hard to tell what the right thing is. But what Isaiah seems to be saying here is that if there is no darkness, if there is no lack of light, if there is no lack of clarity, then there is no need for faith. Isn't that what he does? He calls those who are in the dark to trust in the name of the Lord, as we've been singing about this morning, to rely on his God. That's the time that we draw closest to God. Faith is following God when we cannot see clearly. Faith is following God when we are perplexed about why things are the way that they are, but we trust him more than we trust ourselves. You see the contrast there in verse 11. People who light their own fires, who provide themselves a torch that they themselves light, are those who live by their own ideas. They don't live according to God's word, but they choose their own way. They do what is right in their own eyes. And at the end of verse 11, it says, they will lie down in torment. Reminds me of the old proverb, Proverbs 16 and verse 25, which tells us that there is 
a way that seems right to a person, but the end of that way leads to death. There are so many lights out there that we use to try and, uh, to find our way when things are not clear to us, aren't there? There's so many things that we run to. For some of us, we run to the news, and if I could just figure out, if you give me enough information, I can figure out what life is, uh, is like. I can do it if I just have more information. For some of us, that's the, the trap, right? Knowledge. That's the torch that we light for ourselves. Some of us are confident in our own abilities, or we want to improve those things, right? Self-improvement. If I can just get better, I can manage my life better. I can do life better. For some of us, the light we prefer, Jeremy was praying about it, we just distract ourselves with entertainment or with comfort and not really look at what's going on in the world. And there's nothing uniquely wrong with any of those things, right? The news or self-improvement or entertainment. But when we use those as the way to get through life, the text says we're missing something. We're relying on the wrong thing. It reminds me of Eve in the Garden of Eden. You remember? God had said not to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or else you will die. The serpent comes along and says, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, you'll be like him. You'll know good and evil. So what does Eve do? Do you remember? She doesn't immediately reject what God said. Nor does she immediately accept the word of the serpent. She lights her own torch, as verse 11 would say, right? She says, I will decide for myself. And the way that seemed right to her was that the fruit was pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some and ate it and gave some to her husband who was there with her and he ate it. You see, when God has spoken, but it seems to us that another way may be more right, that another way may be more relevant to the culture, that another way may be more comfortable, then we're on the path that leads to death. It may seem right to us. There's a path that seems right, but it ultimately leads to death. Another proverb, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. That's really the main idea here in this second part of Isaiah 50 and the first part of Isaiah 51. So I call you to listen to God, to trust in him, to obey him, to walk in his ways. In the world that we live in, we have to work really hard to listen to God to be able to walk in his ways because it's not always so clear to us in this world that God's way is right. But there's more to the text. That's the main idea. Listen to God, walk in his ways. But then God in his goodness gives us reasons why we should do that. He gives reasons why we should trust him and walk in his ways. I, I see at least four of them. Let me cover them quickly. Four reasons to trust God and obey his servant and not rely on our under, own understanding. Number one, the servant of the Lord knows God and he knows us. 
He knows God and he knows us. Look at verse 4, Isaiah 50, verse 4. The servant is speaking here and he says, The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. I love that verse. It is so full of good stuff. Do you hear it? I love that reference. He says, the Lord has given me an instructed tongue. What does that mean? It means that the servant's word is learned. It means that that, that he knows what he is talking about, that he's informed when he speaks. And how is he informed? It's because he listens to God and is taught. The last part of the verse says, he's well-schooled in the ways of God. He knows him well. Because he's prayed and asked God to open his ear so that he might hear him, and he has learned the ways of God. If this is a preview of the ministry of Jesus, he's saying that Jesus not only is loving, but he's also competent. He's also wise. He's also efficient. So the servant of the Lord knows the Lord, but he also knows us. Do you see that next part? He gave me an instructed tongue. Why? To know the word that sustains the weary. I love that. You can trust the Lord's anointed, his servant, because he knows the word to sustain the weary. Jesus has the words to sustain us. Hebrews 1, he upholds all things by his powerful word. And how does he know that? Because he took on flesh and became one of us. <laughs> He's been in the confusing world He's going in a different direction from God. He has listened to God, and he's fought that fight. He's fought that struggle. He's faced the things that we are tempted with. Yet he was obedient to God. So the servant knows how hard it is to live where we live. And so he knows the word that sustains you when you are weary. Amen. Who needs a word to the weary today? Jesus has that for you. Isaiah earlier said he is a wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the prince of peace. Do you have that kind of peace? Even in uncertain times? It comes from drawing near to the servant of the Lord, morning by morning, listening to him. Do you ask God to give you ears to hear, to waken your ear, to listen as one being taught? I fear that we spend much more time watching the news, reading self-improvement things, pursuing our own comfort and entertainment. And again, I've already said once, I'll say again, there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But do you spend at least as much time as you do watching or listening or reading to the news? Do you spend at least that much time listening for the Lord to speak to you? Do you spend at least as much time in, in your reading or in your pursuit of pleasure? Do you spend at least that much time in the Word? Asking God to open your ears that you may be one who is taught. 
listen, you can trust God and his servant because he knows God and he knows us. That's the first thing he says here in verse 4. There's a second thing. You can trust God and obey his servant because the servant has suffered. He has suffered too. Look at verses 5 through 9. The servant's still speaking. The Lord, the sovereign Lord has opened my ears and I have not been rebellious, right? He, he has obeyed. I've not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. I have offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who is he that will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. The servant of the Lord has suffered. Jesus listened to God and was obedient to him. And he offered himself as a sacrifice for you. He suffered as he was obedient. He was obedient even unto death for you. He offered not just his back, not just his beard. He offered his life for you. Jesus was very clear. He says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Nobody takes it from me. I lay it down and I pick it back up again. Jesus voluntarily made these choices for you and for me. He left the perfection of heaven. He lived the life in perfect obedience to the Father. He learned obedience through suffering and lived the life that we should have lived, walking in the Father's ways. He died the death that we should have died as a punishment for our sin. And it is his perfect life and sacrificial death that enables us to have a relationship with the true God. And that those truths are so important because it has a couple of implications for us. The first one is this. It means that we do have a pardon from God. If we get credit for Jesus' perfect record and he has died in, in, in punishment for our sin, if that sacrifice is true for then God pardons us. He, he has mercy and grace on us that he allows that transaction to take place so that we can walk in his ways. So yes, Jesus' work in this way gives us a pardon, but it also provides us a pattern of how we should live. What does it look like to walk in God's ways as one who walks on the face of this earth? Jesus is the picture of that. He's the example and if Jesus followed God and suffered when he did so, then when we listen to God and obey, we will sometimes suffer. It's not a popular message in our day. In fact, you could go to some churches that will tell you, if you're really a good Christian, you won't suffer. And that is not what the Bible teaches at all. In fact, Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The Apostle Paul assures us that anyone who tries to live a holy life will encounter 
suffering. Somehow we get this idea that if we suffered, we're doing it wrong. Maybe if you're suffering, it's because you're doing it right. It's hard to know. It can be perplexing, can't it? When we're suffering, we often ask why. We want to know why we're going through what we're going through. And I can't always give you the exact answer to that. Yes, it might be your own sin. Maybe that's why you're suffering. It could be you're experiencing the effects of other people's sin, the ways you've been sinned against. It could be that. I can't always answer the question of why you suffer, but I can tell you what it is not. Because we often jump to that conclusion, if things are not going my way, God must not care. If I'm suffering, it must be that God doesn't love me. He's forsaken me. He's forgotten about me. And that can't be the answer. Because if God's own beloved son, whom he loved, experienced suffering, even though God loved him, then it can't be the answer that it's his lack of love for us is the reason why we suffer. I can tell you God will use it for your good, Romans 8. I can tell you that a day is coming he will make all things right. And knowing these things enables us to endure during difficult times. Let me move on. I have four reasons. First, the, the, the servant knows God and us. Second, the servant has suffered. Third, God calls us to listen and trust him because God can do the miraculous. We listen and trust him because God can do the miraculous. Look at Chapter 51, verses 1 through 3. God speaking. He says, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who gave you birth. When I called him, he was but one and blessed him and made him many. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. God calls us here to look to our past. Why should we listen to him and trust him? He says, well, look to the past. Look to Abraham. He was a pagan, worshiping idols in Ur of the Chaldeans. And God calls him. This makes no sense, right? He, he worshiped multiple gods, but God called him and said, I want you to leave your family, leave the place you live, and go to a place I will show you. And he does. And then God promises him, I will make you a great nation. You have to understand, he's 75 years old. His wife is that old and is barren. They've never had children. God says, I'm going to give you children. I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham believes God. It's credited to him as righteousness. Oh, there are times he has doubts. He has perplexity. It's not always so clear to him. He makes mistakes along the way. But he clings to the promises of God, and God is faithful to him. And here the text is saying, remember Abraham, who never, he didn't even have a child until he was 100 years old. And then God kept his promise and made a great nation. Isaiah is saying, remember how God started you as a people, and that should give you great hope in trusting and looking to the Lord instead of to yourself. Paul says the same thing, Romans chapter 4. 
beginning in verse 16. Listen to what Paul says there. He says, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. That means this promise in Isaiah 51, verses 1 through 3, belongs to us as well as the descendants of Abraham, because we have the faith that Abraham had. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, listen to this description of God, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That's why it is credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit with righteousness for those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Now Romans 4 is primarily about justification by faith and that transaction that I spoke of earlier. But notice what it also says that Abraham was clinging to the promises of God. That God could do the miraculous. That he had power to do the things that he said that he would do. And so that he did not lose hope, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Back in the text, Isaiah 51 and verse 3, God promises that to us as well. He says that he gives comfort and compassion when we're in hard times. That God takes deserts and turns them into the Garden of Eden. That he takes wastelands. And makes a garden that he brings joy and gladness and thanksgiving and song to places where we don't experience those things now. The implication is this. Listen and obey God because he can do the miraculous. Just because you can't see how God will work does not mean that we stop believing and trusting in him. It's the third thing. We trust him and lean on him and not on our own, our own, our own understanding. It's easy for you to say. Because God can do the miraculous. Last thing. We trust God. We rely on him because God is changing the world. Look at verses 4 through 6 of Isaiah 41. God speaking. He says, listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. The law will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way, and my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and wait in hope for my arm. Look up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. We trust God and rely on him because he is changing this world. 
There are a lot of things we may not, dis- we may not agree on this morning. I think we can agree. There's a lot lo- wrong with the world today. I think we can agree on that one. And God here in his word says he is changing this world. That his law is going out. That his justice will be a light for the nations to lead them and guide them. That God's righteousness will not fail to make all things right. And that means as we listen to him and trust in him instead of leaning on our own understanding, it means that we can have a certain hope even in the midst of uncertain times. It means that we can persevere as the people of God. It means that we not, we, we not only just persevere, but we actually engage our culture. That we're a part of what God uses to change the world. In our world today, there are people marching in the streets demanding justice. The temptation, if your heart is anything like mine, is to withdraw, is to back away, is to not be a part of that. What if I say something wrong? What if I don't get it exactly right? I don't want to enter into this dialogue. It'll be unpleasant. It does not look fun. But God calls us into that dialogue and assures us he will be with us in the midst of that. We need to be asking the question, what is justice? What is it that your heart longs so much for? Why do you long for that? How do we get that kind of justice? I hear a lot of people calling for justice. I don't hear a lot of people talking about how to get there. And as the people of God, we have answers for that. And God is with us in this discussion. Look at verses 7 and 8. God says, hear me, you who know what is right. That's us. Because he's told us. God says, hear me, you who know what is right, you people who have my law in your hearts. Do not fear the reproach of men or be terrified by their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, the worm will devour them like wool, but my righteousness will last forever, my salvation through all generations. Oh, people of God, what an opportunity. It's a hard time to live. But it's an important time to live as the people of God. More than ever, we have to draw near to him and make an effort to listen to him because there's so many voices in our culture. We have to work hard to hear the voice of God through his word. And as we hear him and trust him, he uses us to change this world. He, through us, can do the miraculous. It's going to entail suffering. It's not going to be easy, but the Lord's servant knows God, and he knows us, and he knows the word to sustain the weary. Draw near to him. Let's pray and ask him to draw near to us. Heavenly Father, oh, thank you for your word. Thank you for your servant Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who knows what it's like to suffer, who knows the perplexity of this world. I pray that you would give us that word to sustain the weary. And we ask that you would use us to do the miraculous, to change this world. And I pray that you would do so for your glory, that your justice would go forth, that your righteousness would reign in this place. 
And we would be a people who are willing to stand for that and to speak up for that. That you would get more glory and honor and praise. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.